So today I want to use the opportunity to uh, uh, kind of answer a question that was asked about family uh, relationships and uh, how biblically they're to be organized. And I use that as an excuse to talk about family on Mother's Day. It kind of made sense to me. So, uh, um, but first I want to make some observations. Um, the first observation is that evolution cannot be true because moms only have two hands. If it were true, then she'd have eight, just to keep up with all the stuff for the kids, right? This wasn't a serious answer. It was a joke. So if you're a guest here, we, we have fun and we laugh. Even in my bad jokes, we laugh. Got it? Okay. It's going to be a long morning because here's what happens. When you don't laugh, I talk longer. <laughs> there you go. There you go. A little slow in the uptake. Uh, it was never easy being a mom because if it was, dads would do it. No, okay. I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising my kids. No? Should I just quit? Not gonna. Um, let's see. My, this, I read this quote. My mother's uh, menu consists of two things. Take it. There you go. There you go. Uh, let's see. How about this one? You're going to like this one. Mom's mirror, mirror on the wall. I am my mother after all. I'm quitting on that, baby. I'm taking that one and running right there. Here's what I believe. I, sometimes I get caught up in the world we live in and the politics and the bad news and all the stuff, and I try not to watch the news, but I can't help kind of being exposed to it occasionally, and I get a little depressed, and I think those guys ought to fix this, those politicians or those whoever those people I want to blame it on are. And what I realize is that the people who can really fix the world are moms. Politicians aren't going to fix squat. And I'm sorry to be cynical, but that's the truth. But the people who are responsible, most responsible for raising the next generation will determine the future. And it's moms. And, uh, and today I want to encourage you to keep up uh, the hard work and, and the responsibility you've so um, courageously taken on. I was, uh, I was thinking about when we first started the church down in Seal Beach, um, one of the most comforting things, we didn't have a congregation uh, we didn't have a staff. We didn't have money. We didn't have anything. And uh, we had uh, my wife and two kids. And, and, um, and a few people started showing up. But one of the things I always knew is that every morning, my wife's grandmother, who lived out on a farm in Oklahoma, would literally walk out into the pasture, rain, sun, didn't matter, and sit on a stump, honest to goodness, a tree stump, to get away from whatever it was that was distracting on the farm, I don't know, and pray for us. For the rest of her family, kids, name by name, but for us and for our church and the future of our church. There is incredible power in the power of prayer and of example. As I was, uh, was kind of thinking about that, I was thinking about John Wesley. You may not know who John Wesley was, but he was kind of the founder of the Methodist church, but that wasn't what he set out to do. He set out to bring about a spiritual revival that would end in significant societal changes, and he did. But we need to know about John and his brother Charles is that the reason they were able to do that is because of their mom. Their mom had given birth to 19 children, 19 children. And um, she, if you read about her, is one of the most courageous and inspiring women, a true Proverbs 31 woman. 
And she not only had her home incredibly organized, her husband wasn't, a, he was a preacher and he wasn't very good at that or anything else. And he was always running up debt and not paying his bills, end up in debtor's prison at one point. Imagine trying to raise kids, 10 of them survived long term, trying to raise those kids on very little money. And yet she was incredibly organized. She had the rules for her household. She expected them to all be well-educated and participate in that process herself. And one of the most powerful things that was talked about her when they later wrote about this incredible woman was that one of her habits was, and it was, a, it was like clockwork, every day there would come a time in the day when she would sit down in a chair in the living room and she would take her apron and pull it up over her head. And that was a sign to all the kids, don't bother mom because she's talking to God and reading her Bible and you don't want to interrupt that. You, you just don't want to interrupt that. And that was a consistent thing every day. See, the reality is, is that moms have an unbelievable influence. And survey after survey, it doesn't matter if your kid's 16 and spending 16 hours a day with their friends. Mom, parents, are the number one influence on children. And so to you moms, I want to say, good job. Keep it up. I'm not going to say anything to you today you haven't heard. I'm just going to let you know that you're not crazy for doing it. Okay? I just want to affirm what you're doing, okay? Um, In 2 Timothy 1.5, we find Paul affirming Timothy, a younger man in the faith, and here is kind of his spiritual heritage. I think it's appropriate on, on this Mother's Day. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Here is a guy we read about in Scripture, and who was it that mentored him spiritually? Grandma and mom. Don't know where dad was. I don't know if dad was in the picture, but dad wasn't an influence, evidently. Mom and grandma. And so today, whether you're a married mom or a single mom, um, you have huge influence. And I just want to encourage you and affirm you that. And I, I want to just some, affirm some things. I want to. So you may have some doubts. Maybe as the kids get older or whatever. Um, I just want to remind you that parenting is not a democracy. You don't need to vote on things. God put you in charge. It's okay be in charge. It's all right. Um, this, this process, uh, this parenting thing, is, is the process of teaching and training your kids to leave. That's what you're supposed to do. I know parents of millennials, you know, it's a pretty big task. I get it. But, but that's your job. Your job is to train them up so that they will leave. Here's what it says in Proverbs 22.6, familiar passage. I put it in the King James because that's the way I memorized it when I was a kid. Um, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, we all kind of parse this. We've, uh, any preacher has preached on this any number of times. And we say, okay, train up. Now, what does it mean to train up? And we'll talk about that today. And, and the way he or she should go. What's unique about how you should raise your children? We'll talk about that. When he's old and not depart from it. Is that a promise? Is that wisdom that kind of generally works that way? I kind of lean toward the second. But here's what nobody ever preaches on. But this is the important part. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. See, that's what you got to remember. You're fixing them, growing them up so they can go, right? That's your goal is that they would go. Go, go all out, go. Okay, so um, 
it is your responsibility to get them ready for when they go. Here's what it says in Genesis 2.24, because it's been this way from the very beginning. It says this, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife. It's called the leave and cleave passage. Right? The leave and cleave. you got to get them ready so they can leave and they can cleave. It's not a geographical thing. You know, in some societies, the kids just build another wing on the house. But it's, it's an individuation of family from family of origin. So you got to grow them up. And that's what your job is. That helps you say no to some things. Say yes to some other things. And, and to, if you keep that in mind. The problem is, I think in society, we've lost it. We've become so kind of self-centered. And even, even sometimes, and I know nobody in this room, but in society in general, it may at times be so self focused and self-absorbed that they even think parenting is about them. And they forgot to leave and cleave and the goal of go, right? And we see this in all kinds of ways. One is like the rescuer parents. You know, the rescuer parents are always, some people call them helicopter parents because they're always hovering. If anything happens, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to jump in there. If he falls down, I'll pick him up right away. You know, if, if he gets in a conflict, I'll fix it, right? And the problem is most of these parents are so busy fixing everything that they never let anything, anything be the kid's fault. Right? Sometimes you got to lay there and teach, let him teach himself to get up before the next wave knocks him down. Right? And if you're the kind of parent that, that your kid's never at fault, well, you're just in denial because your kid's at fault. Right? And he needs to own that. You need to own that. Quit being a hovering parent. Right? I know nobody in this room does this, but we've seen people. You can talk to them. And then there are the reachers. These are the kind of parents who are always trying to achieve their dreams through their children. We've all seen that, haven't we? Like, they didn't get to be whatever it was, and other kids are going to be, they push them hard, and it's all about performance and expectation, right? Uh, you know, like, I didn't make it to the majors, but you're going to make it, son, well, but I want to play the piano, right? right? Uh, I, I think the worst example is this is like, and I don't think it happens in California, but in, in, in the southern United States where they put these little six-year-old girls in beauty contests, okay, let's just screw up our kid right off the bat. Why don't we just do that? Why don't we just teach them their net worth is what they look like in the mirror? Really, that's great. Let's do that. Sorry, that might be a pet peeve for me. Okay, we'll go on. Um, and here's the right on. This is more dads, but I think moms have their version, but I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Right on, right on. I call them the right on. Right on, bro. They're going to be best friends with their kids. Right on. You know, it's just like, God didn't call you to be best friends with your kid. He called you to be their parent, right? A parent is much more important than best friend. Right? Here's the problem. We have this idea, and some of us fall prey. Let's be honest. You fall. You may. Uh, you want to be the cool parent, right? Well, stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. A. If you are the cool parent, it's not fair to the rest of us. <laughs> and we're supposed to be in this war against these children together. Okay? Because <laughs> if we don't stick together, they will take over. All right? <laughs> so don't be the cool parent. You're not. It's unbiblical to be the cool parent. If the other kids are calling you the cool parent, they either don't know you very well or you're way too lax in your restrictions on your kids, okay? No cool parents allowed, knock it off. Good parents are allowed. And if you're a good parent, someday you may be friends with your kid when they grow up and they leave and they cleave. But right now, you don't need to be their friend, you need to be their parent. It's not even that important that they like you, frankly. It's important that you love them enough to be the parent, right? Okay, that's a good start. Here we go. And this one, this one's kind of a little, a little different. It, I just want to, I want to give you permission on this one. So I think it's great when you reason with your children, the reasoners, like, honey, we need to do this because of this and this. And I think that's great. And I think that's good. But I just need to be honest, while because mommy said so is not necessarily the best answer every time, it is the right answer sometimes. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Honey, you're either unable to understand 
you're not at an age where you can understand or you're choosing not to understand. So here's where we're at because mommy said so. Deal with it. <laughs> right? Because they're going to hit things in life where they're going to have to live by rules. In a relationship with God, I don't always really understand why God is expecting something from me or telling But you know what? Because God said so. It's a pretty good answer on occasion. And so it's okay. It's okay to say that. So sometimes our society gets it wrong. But I know you moms are doing great, and so we just want to make fun of them today. Um, three things I want to talk about for moms. Conversation. You, I, I know, I know. About the 40th time you get asked why within a 15-minute period, you're like, why am I still talking to this kid, you know? <laughs> and yet I need to tell you that talking is not talking. It is teaching and training. That's what you're doing. You are shaping them, and you may have to answer that same question millions of times. It doesn't matter because you are shaping them through your conversation, through the teaching and the training that you are doing. And by the way, your child will go through life and they'll always have voices in their heads. As an adult, they will have voices in their head. Here's your goal, to be the loudest. When they're 16 and invited to a party, they need to have your voice in their head. My mom's voice, I can hear be sure your sins will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sins will find you out. So even as a teenager in rebellion and as an adult now, I still have my mom's voice in my head. And what's interesting about my mom's voice, she's quoting God, which makes it even worse. <laughs> well, that's just shame-based. Well, guess what? That's what I needed. I needed to hear that. You, those words you're saying, say them. It's okay. I sound like such a mom. Yes, you do. Good for you right? So one of the things is, is that in this process, we need to understand that what you're saying matters. So here's what it says in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you, they are to be on your hearts, your hearts. We'll talk about that a bit later. Then it says in verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, all the time, be talking about the principles that will shape your children's life. And the more of them that are from Scripture, the better. And, and that's just a part of this conversation. What are you doing? You're teaching truth. By the way, this it just seems like a no-brainer, but I'm, I've come to believe it, it, it's, it's an essential part. You've got to begin by teaching children that, that there is truth. We're living in a society where you can look at something and somebody's going to say, no, that's not what that is. That is something else. Because my truth and your truth don't have to match up. Because there is this suggestion there's no absolute truth, objective truth. But there is. I step off the stage. Which way am I going? Should we vote on it? Should we just, is your truth going to be different than my truth? Because the minute I step off the stage, I'm going down because that's the truth, right? Just teaching our children that there is something such as truth. Because when they get to university, if not before then, people are going to try to tell them there is no such thing as absolute truth absolutely there is, right? There's truth and there's lies. We need to teach our kids that there is truth and to respect the truth and to identify and reject lies. It's a disastrous implication for a society where we come to a place where we're all going to live by our own truth and there is no objective standard. Um, not only teach truth, but impart wisdom. Here's what's scary about our children, the children now is that they have access at their fingertips to more information than all of society previously combined, all of history. 
I'm a, I'm a phone a friend guy. When I'm trying to figure something out, I'll think, I know somebody who knows it, I'll call them. By the time I've called them, my six-year-old granddaughter has pulled it up on the internet and go, well, here's, and here's a video of how to, I'm like, yeah. Um, kids have knowledge, information, more than they know what to do with. What they don't have is wisdom. And the challenge going forward in this generation from a lot of the reading I'm doing is that they're going to have lots of information, but they don't really know how to interact with each other. Wisdom comes from knowledge, experience, and if you're a Christian, the work of the Holy Spirit and Scripture in your life. What we need to instill is the value of and the uh, need for wisdom because knowledge or information won't solve your life's problems. It's wisdom. And so your conversation with your kids, you're imparting wisdom uh, beyond just information. They get information from their peers. They can get it from the Internet. They can get it from any number of places. But wisdom is pretty hard to come by these days, it seems. Um, so you're teaching truth. You're imparting wisdom. And you're establishing boundaries. You're establishing boundaries, which we know as discipline. No is an extremely important word for you moms. And, and don't be afraid to use it. It's okay. Setting clear, consistent rules, not capricious, but consistent rules, um, setting them and enforcing them unemotionally. It's not because you're mad, it's because these are the rules and this is how we do this. Um, it's not that I don't love you, I don't care about you. It's that these are the rules. These are the boundaries in which we're going to live as a family because that's your responsibility as a, a parent and as mom to set the lane in which your children are going to run. Set them up for a great future by putting the right boundaries in place. Um, and and it's, it kind of seems like a, a no-brainer. And yet I want to encourage you because as the day goes on and, and if you have uh, multiple kids in the home, it's got to get hard around 9 o'clock at night to enforce the rules because you're just plain tired. And, uh, but Cloud and Townsend, two psychologists and Christian authors write that um, you need moms are like an oak tree and that the kids keep butting up against. And eventually they'll learn to not butt up against you because you're stronger and they'll learn to go around. <laughs> in other words, do it your way. You have got to stick with it. And I know it's hard, but congratulations to you for sticking with your gun, sticking with the rules and doing it and doing it in a loving, caring kind of way. It is a powerful, um, formative thing. One of the reasons it's formative is not just makes your home go better, but one of the most powerful things that you're teaching your children is respect for authority. Respect for authority. And and it has all kinds of implications. Um, you you're not only teaching them to respect your authority, um, you're expecting them to teach authority, uh, to, to respect authority in general. Bible says that authority is given to us as a channel of blessing from God. So not only do they need to respect your authority, they need to respect the authority of their teachers, of their principals, of the policemen. By the way, I almost got a ticket on the way today. I almost got one. I was going like a mile over. over a bridge and, uh, <laughs> at 70. But anyway, um, but I, and I thought about this, when I thought about, is he going to pull out and get me? Because I deserved it. Let's just be honest. I deserved it. And I was going to have to admit that to him because I need to respect his authority because that's a channel of blessing in my life, believe it or not. Even our government, which I make so much fun of politicians, 
But even that is something that God uses. Children need to learn to respect authority. And because, so you say, okay, we all know that. But let me tell you something you might not know. The number one problem I see in adults is they never learned how to deal with authority. So let me, let me paint a scenario for you in my home growing up. I have a brother, two, I have two brothers, um, and my brother's two years younger than me. He and I would have um, disagreements occasionally. And, uh, and at the end of the disagreement, it usually ended badly for one or both of us. And we would get busted, and my parents would, would sit us down, and we were in trouble, and they would, and here's what they wanted. They wanted to, us to admit that what we did was wrong, to say that we were sorry, and then they make us hug, which I think is cruel and unusual punishment. But, <laughs> and then they would say something like, okay, now we're going to do better, aren't we? Yeah. And we're going to help you do better, aren't we? Yeah. Do you know what happened in that, in that just brief scenario, which happened multiple times a day in my house growing up? Repentance. I learned to repent of my sin against my brother. I learned that there was a greater authority in the house who knew better than me. And so I not only was sorry I got caught, I actually was probably sorry for what I did because they helped me understand it was wrong. You know what the hardest thing I see in adults is they won't bend their knee to the ultimate authority of God and learn how to repent. You know what's great about repentance is I got a fresh start. Every time I repented, my parents said, okay, we're going to do better. Now let's go. And I was done. I don't have to deal with that anymore. We don't have to talk about it anymore because once it was done, it was done. We're going to do a fresh start. We're going to do better tomorrow. Repentance is an incredibly powerful thing. And if we don't teach our kids to repent of their wrongdoing and to own it, they never get a fresh start. And so what they have to do is walk around carrying guilt or trying to somehow rationalize that they're not guilty of something. When we're all guilty of something, right? What a great thing to teach a kid to come, repent, let's get it right, and God will help us move on, right? This, this struggle you have with keeping the authority in the hands of the parent and teaching kids, I know it is brutal, and yet it is, it is probably one of the most important things you can possibly do for your children, right? And so I just want to encourage you, don't give up on that. Don't back away from that. Keep the authority. Teach respect for authority. Here's what it says in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And what's the promise? So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. You are teaching them a critical issue in life. And it's, and, and it's, worth, it's worth the hard work and the consistency. It is worth it. Um, by the way, I'll just, let me just mention one more thing. If, if you are a single mom, I know this is difficult. And, and we honor you for your hard work and, and don't give up and, and include extended family and other people that can help you, but don't give up. If you're married, when you discipline your children, be a united front. Don't ever disagree with your partner on, on the discipline in front of the children. You can talk later, you can whatever, but you be a united front. In my home growing up, if mom said no, we try to convince dad of a yes, or usually vice versa, dad said no, we try to convince mom of yes, and he found out, oh, 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 it was not going to be a good night at our house. You try to split those two up, you were in trouble, trouble. And just being together on things. I don't think they always agreed on on what it should have been, but they agreed on a lot of it, and what they didn't, they worked it out behind closed doors, and we never kind of got in between and broke that thing up. Uh, conversation. The second one is conviction. Conviction. Moms, 
your conviction and you're instilling conviction in your children. It's about priorities. It's about uh, predetermining what is important, um, saying yes to what is best for you and for them and for your family. So the question that came in in our, in our, in our deal was, um, the question came in, is, and I don't want to misrepresent the question, but it kind of, I, I was a little confused by it. It was, how are family, how is family structure different between now and biblical times? And then the second one was the part that kind of confused me. And it was, given all of the equality in this day, how are, how do couples know their roles, I think is what it said. So inherent in that question is a, is a misunderstanding about theology. The theology has never been that men and women are not equal. It's never, ever been that, ever. Society has treated women as inferior most of history. Uh, Jesus elevated women in his own ministry. And, and so there's no time in which the Bible ever says that men and women are not equal. It does, however, say that men and women have unique roles. And so when, when we look at Scripture and we begin to set priorities for a family, here's the first priority. God first. God first in your family. God is more important than your kids, more important than your marriage, more important than your job. God is more important, Period. And that needs to be set up in your family, needs to be acknowledged, needs to be articulated. And then secondly, number two is not your children. Number two is your marriage if you're married. Uh, number two is your, is your marriage. The best gift you can give your kids is a good marriage. The best gift you can give your kids is a good marriage. Because if they don't learn it from you, where are they going to learn it? Where are they going to see it? They'll be okay. They don't need every minute of every day of your time. Here's what it says in, in, in the passage in Ephesians 21, uh, 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Men, don't say a word right now. Not a word. Not a word. You will die in the parking lot. If your wife doesn't get you, somebody else's will. You need to listen to this next sentence, however. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here's the thing. Those who are cringing who aren't familiar with this passage, you're cringing. So we need to think about what Christ is telling us is the ideal. Because any objection to this passage has to do with living in a fallen world and the fear of being dominated, the fear of being taken advantage of, and the unjustness of husbands, etc., etc. But you need to hear that last sentence first. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves us, the church. How did Christ love us? He came for us. He died for us. He sacrificed for us. He lived for us. He wants the best for us. I can submit to somebody like that. Oh, I have. As a Christian, I already have. And what he's saying, there's husbands, do your best to love your, your wife like Christ loves you. If you will do that, this passage has no problems. There's no problems. Because if you truly love your wife, you're going to want what's best for her in every situation. You're going to create an environment where she feels safe and she feels secure and she feels loved and she has the opportunities and all that she needs. This passage is not a problem. This passage is a beautiful picture of what it can look like. And so in, in this, God first, spouse second, children third. Children cannot be second. I read a quote recently for a woman. She says, I'm a pretty good mom, but I'm not a very good wife these days. Well, you need to get that right. You need to fix that. 
Because that romance, that relationship, if you're married, if you're not, I'd say to single moms, don't give up your life because you got kids. Kids cannot be the center of your life because you'll have too much expectation for them and they won't see a healthy role model. If you're a single mom, have your friends, have your interests, have a place to serve. Keep those up. I know it's another thing on your to-do list, but you want a role model for your children what a healthy adult looks like. And so family, that is the order. That is the answer to the question that was sent in. I'll probably do a whole series on it in the near future. Stick around. Um, so uh, I just want to finish with this. Uh, well, yeah, let me finish with this. Conversation convictions. What are the non-negotiables? I think it would be important to have a vision for your family. This is the, the phrase we would use a lot growing up in family meetings is, but this is the kind of family we've decided to be. But this, and what we did here didn't measure up. What attitude we had, sometimes I had it on myself. What daddy did here did not measure up the kind of family we've decided to be. But this is the kind of family, and we renew that, and we have that vision. And based on that, we establish non-negotiables. Non-negotiables. In my home growing up, I wasn't allowed to hit my brother. I wasn't allowed. Somehow he didn't have the same rule. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to hit him, but I could throw that sucker a long way. I'm not lying to you. I had to pick him up and throw him. We had non-negotiables in my house. Talking back to mom, that was, that was kind of a non-negotiable. You don't want to experience consequences of that in my house growing up. There are certain non-negotiables. Church was a non-negotiable. You're going to be there. Dead or alive, you're going to be there, literally. If you're alive, you're coming with it. If you're dead, we'll meet you there. Right? Church. God being the number one thing in our life, that was a non-negotiable. Now, my home, there were some other things that weren't allowed because they were non-negotiables. As a family, what are the non-negotiables? Just figure them out because you're instilling convictions into your children. Convictions. And they will take them a long way. That's kind of paving a path to productivity if you, if you teach them what the non-negotiables are. And then, so conversations, convictions, and then conversion. I hope your kids grow up and they do well and they get great jobs. But I need to tell you the most important thing, the most important thing is making sure your child has a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Moms, it is an incredible um, opportunity you have to influence your children. I'm not saying dads aren't a part of it. I, we'll get to them on Father's Day. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and you, and you do this in two ways. You do this in two ways. One is by example. Uh, an example. And uh, you, we talked about um, having God's word in your heart. You being a growing, vibrant, committed Christian is the most important thing you can do. Uh, if you're going to do it halfway, they're not going to do it at all. If you do it all the way, they'll do it all the way. And so there is this example, and in coming with that example is an expectation. My house growing up in the house that Connie and I, in the home we built together, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That was our intention. That was our expectation. And thank goodness that has been the reality. Comes through example. Um, I'll just give you two quick ones. One with my dad and one with my mom. My dad, I remember I couldn't have been six years old. I was in the backseat of the car. It was before you strapped him in and, you know, wrenched him in there and, and ratcheted him down. And you could still turn your head uh, back in that day and look out the back window. And uh, I remember sitting in the backseat. I remember my dad driving. I could see he was looking in the rearview mirror. And all of a sudden he said, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, Lord, help him. Oh, Jesus. And he started praying. And I raised up and I looked out the back. And I saw, and I, it was quick enough that I saw a car just going end over end off the road. And my dad's response wasn't a swear word. It wasn't, it was a prayer. 
wasn't pre-planned. It wasn't predetermined. It's what was in him. He was an example. When I was a uh, freshman in college, I'd come home for the weekend to visit my family, brought all my laundry. Mom had done all my laundry, had it ready for me to take back to school. Mom. And, uh, and so I was going to leave Sunday afternoon, and Sunday morning we all went to church together. And we arrived home, having gotten a phone call that we should come home immediately after church to see that our house had burned to the ground. Nothing left. Not even my clean laundry. (laughs) And as we drove up the long driveway, nobody said a word. And then my mom said this, a quote from Luke. And said, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions that he has. It wasn't planned. It wasn't something she said to make us feel better. It was just what came out of her heart. Because she was a person who knew God and knew his word and knew her priorities. And she still is. Moms, how old am I? I'm like over 40 now and I still remember that. (laughs) Moms, what you say and who you are matters. It matters. So thank you. Thank you for your hard work you're, you're, that you never get thanked for probably, the incredible amount of energy you put into raising those kids. I just want you to know that even though the rest of us don't fully appreciate it, God does. And what you're doing is not just a job, it is a calling. And God will honor that. And you can trust him to help you. And thank you for doing that. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you for the mothers in this room. I thank you for my own mom who who is an inspiration even today as she's learning to navigate life on her own. Lord, I, I thank you for her. And I pray for every mom here, wherever they are in whatever stage of parenting. Lord God, they'll never quit being a mom. And I thank you for them. I pray that you would bless them today. I pray that you would give the moms who are raising young ones energy and courage and tenacity. And, and Lord God, I pray that you would give all moms a sense of the importance of what they're doing. And that today they would have a deep sense of satisfaction for having done something that you have called them to do and is very dear to your heart. And so, Lord God, bless our moms today. In Jesus' name, amen.